Welcome to the View from the Penalty Box podcast with Cam Connor. Classic hockey stories from one of hockey's toughest enforcers. My name is Cam Connor, along with my son Chris. Podcast number 31. Can you believe that, Chris? And we're back. So we are going to talk about the Stanley Cup, your predictions, Dad. We're going to probably end the, the episode with your, your predictions. And I know you made a prediction back in September, so we'll see how your prediction went. The year before, you chose Vegas, and you did pretty good with that. Well, you sent out a tweet just about an hour before we started recording, asking if anyone had questions. So next time, maybe you can send that out a couple days in advance. But we did get some questions that you'll answer. And uh, before we get into the questions, we just want to thank everyone for your reviews on iTunes. It means a lot. Uh, always send an email, viewfromthepenaltybox at gmail.com. Dad, you're on Twitter, Cam Connor NHL, Facebook, Instagram. You've got a website. So if you're interested at all, there's always a way to find out what's going on. So we will start with the first question. And the first question is from Tom, and he writes, Do you have any memories playing against Harry Howell in the WHA? I also remember in 1978 with the Arrows, you broke either your hand or your arm, but can't remember how that happened. Do you remember? Thanks, Tom. All right. All right. Let's talk about uh, Harry Howell. I did play against Harry. Harry was at the end of his career. I don't I don't remember ever talking to anybody back in the day that knew Harry Howell or knew him personally. But anything I've read about it, they said he's a gentleman and everybody loved the guy. I saw Glenn Sather talked about him. But again, with Harry, he was at the end of his career and you just were wondering, like, how much longer is this guy going to play? Um, I think he was awesome in his day. And like everybody else, as you get older, you're not quite as effective. So so with Harry, I, I really don't have anything to say about my hand. Did I break my arm or my or, or my hand? And what that was is I remember it. I've broken my hand, same hand, three times fighting. And uh, my hands were in great shape. And I was sitting on the bench. Uh, there was, uh, you know, this I can't remember if I'm accurate, but I'm going to say like 10 or 15 games left in the season. And I only needed one more goal to get a fifteen or $20,000 bonus from the Houston Arrows. And there was a guy on our team named Andre Lacroix. And he played in San Diego in the World Hockey. And he's not a very big, he certainly wasn't very tough. But he got a lot of points. He was he, he was a goal scorer and a playmaker. And, you know, he was a nice guy when you get to know him. When you play against him, he's a little pain in the ass. So he got traded. So when I played against him, you know, he'd chirp and foam at the mouth. And, you know, you didn't like the guy. But when you play with him, you see what a good person he was. So he was causing trouble on the ice when we were both playing with Houston Arrows. And there was a gentleman by the name of Dave Inkpen, a defenseman. And I think Dave was playing for, I want to say, Indianapolis Racers, but I'm not quite sure. He was, he was just reacting to what Andre had done to him. So he was going after Andre. Skate, and Andre was skating away from him. I don't know why. I just hopped over the boards 
and I went over and got between Lacroix and uh, Inkpen, and I, you know, I said, I'll fight you. So we square off, and Inkpen's a big boy, and he knew how to throw him, and he kind of ducked low, and he come at me, and back in my day, I could throw with my left hands or my right, I, it just, whatever, it was all natural, you don't think about it. So he did something, then my mind just clicked and said, hook him, throw your left. So I threw a left at him, and uh, he, he didn't have a helmet on, and I hit him hard, right in the forehead, but I don't think I punched him properly where all my knuckles landed, two knuckles landed, and I broke the bones behind the knuckles, and I remember them, they didn't come through the the skin, but they're up like a teepee. You could see the skin pushing up. He had a couple. I've run into Dave many times since then, and he just said like he had lumps on his head for the longest time. But uh, anyway, so that's what I did. I broke my hand for the first time then, and then you know they put you in the hospital. They numb you from the elbow down, and they drill pins through the broken bones into your stable bone in your hand to anchor it. So. Uh, yeah, that was the first time I broke my hand, and uh, I, not that it matters, but so that game, after the game, I was walking out to my vehicle with the, my wife and uh, one of the other players, John Gray, and as I got there, because, you know, my hand was clearly broken, and we get to my vehicle, and I've got two flat tires, and I said, John, I can't change these, he goes, oh, so he's got his suit on, so he, I remember he had to change my two tires, so John... That's John Gray. Thank you very kindly, buddy. I still remember you helped me out. And I actually have a question for you. So I read an interesting article from the Globe and Mail, and it's called uh, The Very Modern Lesson the NHL Can Learn from the Old School WHA, How to Go Green. And I'll put a link to this article in our show notes if anyone's interested in reading it. So the article basically talks about how maybe the NHL should have Teams play each other for two games in a row in the same arena during the regular season, just as they did in the WHA. So in other words, the Washington Capitals would play in Pittsburgh on Wednesday night, then stay in town and play the Penguins again on Thursday night. Call it a play and stay. And I guess why they're suggesting this is because of air travel pollutes and uh, you're saving flights and Maybe even saving time. Yeah. So do you have thoughts since you played in the WHA? Well, what, what you're saying is, okay, I could see play two games there because then you're saving on the cost of flying. You know, in the WHA, even the NHL back then, there was very few charters. So you were doing commercial flights. Today, they have their own corporate jets. So, you know, that's just one less flight. So I, I, I don't really know how much you're saving uh, I can see the owners saving money and maybe, you know, travel time the next time the guys, right? So I, I, I'm not against it. It'd be interesting. I mean, if you got one of the most boring teams in town for two games, you might see your attendance go down. Um, I guess anything's worth, again, with the owners, they're the, really the ones that benefit because they're saving some flight costs, charter flights costs, and et cetera, et cetera. So I, I, I don't know about that. Yeah, the article says, certainly environmental concerns weren't top of mind for the WHA, so that's what you said. Its play-and-stay schedule was intended to cut costs more than anything, but with climate change becoming an issue, the NHL can now use the strategy to make a meaningful difference. So 
I guess from the NHL's perspective, it would uh, maybe help the environmental impacts. But your point about two boring games in a row is true because I remember sitting through Minnesota Wild, and it was it was tough. Well, it really it really was tough, and I know you know. I mean, the guys played so many games in a year, and then you got preseason, and then you got playoffs. There's no doubt there's going to be some boring games. I always hear people say, oh, well, you know, the guys, they don't even try. I I just can't get my head around that statement. I just don't know anybody that didn't try. I know some days you're trying, but you're not very effective, but I just can't believe they don't try. And if, you know, if, if, if they say it's for, you know, for the environment and that's why they want to have a couple games in a row, really, again, I think it's the owners just trying to save some money if they go that route. And if they want to save some money, maybe what they should do is reduce the season from, you know, what is it, 82, 84 games now and knock off 10 or 12 games. You know what? There's a lot less flights when you knock off 12 games. And, you know, maybe reduce the, the, the ticket price for the fans, like, it's it's goofy, okay? There's corporations that buy, but for the average person that goes to a game and they got to pay 20 bucks for parking, and then, you know, if they drink a beer, that's 11 and $12. It's very expensive for a family. So I think hockey, you know, even to, as a kid playing hockey, the fees for sticks, for, for joining, for practice sessions, I think hockey's turning into and will turn into a rich man sport and that is going to be bad for the game because before you know it wasn't that expensive kids played 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 uh now it's almost the select few that can afford to pay the cost that go into it and you get a sport like soccer what do you need a ball and you know some shoes and that's it pretty well so you know maybe they should reduce the the number of games played, and then prorate the player's salary. All right, so you just prorate it, then everybody drops back, and maybe we'll get better games. Maybe there's not as much traveling. Uh, that's that's where I think it should start. So we have a question from Martin in Edmonton, and he basically says, what's your opinion on Bob Nicholson's comments on Toby Ryder? And for those of you who aren't following Edmonton Oilers, I'll give a little bit of back background for that. Uh, so at a season seat holder breakfast on Thursday, Bob Nicholson, who, what is he, the president? Or yeah, he's a top dog. Top person in the Oilers, said that Toby Ryder won't be back with the team next season. He suggested the Oilers would be in a playoff spot if Ryder had scored 10 to 12 goals instead of having none. So then Ryder responded saying, you look at it and you kind of can't believe it. I feel like it's disappointing, and I'm offended by it. I'm the first one to admit I didn't have a good year. It has not been an easy season for me. It's been hard, and I'm still going out there and giving 100% every time I'm on the ice every game. It was tough to read that somebody gets singled out like that and kind of thrown under the bus. So I feel like you maybe have had experience (laughs) with with that dad and do you have comments on on this particular yeah guys like craig patrick our gm for the rangers man he threw me under the bus i've got a lot of stories about that but i've been biting my tongue about craig and uh, what he did to me but listen, you have shared some no there's a whole bunch of gold back. <laughs> you don't want one well i remember one. My, my buddy tom Laidlaw says 
Well, you know, if you think there's a purpose by telling everything about, you know, what you and Craig went through or what you went through with Craig. So I, I, maybe I'm maturing. I don't know, but I backed off from saying a few things. But, you know, with your question and Toby Ryder, Bob Nicholson and, you know, I'm sure he doesn't listen to my podcast. And so I'm, I'm saying what I honestly believe. I think he's a fine man. My path is only crossed a few times with him. And he seems to be a happy man and a nice man. And I don't know anybody that really has anything bad to say about the gentleman. He just seems to be, every time I see him, happy and smiley. And uh, those are the kind of people I like to be around. As far as his comments, you know, I know for me, and I'm sure other people out there, there's times that I just react. And uh, maybe it was pressure that he said this because the fans were... You know, you're not making the playoffs. I believe it's 12 over the last 13 years. The buck stops with him. He's got to hire the right personnel. And, 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 and maybe it was just pressure that got to him. But I don't believe he's that kind of guy. And he's also too smart to start criticizing people, individuals, especially team members. I think it just happened. He answered it. But in today's day and age you got to be way more diplomatic for everything. And you'd love to say your real opinion, but those reporters, they will make the most of it just to get headlines. And in the news people, well, we got nothing going on. Well, let's talk about Bob Nicholson, what he, what he said. So, you know, that I've said things that I shouldn't have said a hundred times. And I, I'm, I'm getting better now where instead of me just spontaneously blurting something out, I'm just biting my lip, like I said, with Craig Patrick. So I think it was just something spontaneous, and if we were to turn back the hands of time, I don't believe Bob would have said that. I, th- I think that, you know, the season's not over. Maybe you could get away with a comment when the season's over and the guy's no longer with your organization. You could you could say that. It's not as bad. When he's still playing and he's still trying his best, there's so many factors that determine whether you're going to have a good season. They're, they're pretty obvious. Number one, maybe getting the ice time, who you're playing with, do you kill penalties, are you on the power play? Like, there's, how much ice time are you getting? There's a lot, a lot of variables. I, I don't know Toby. I mean, he's a good skater. He, in my opinion, he's got a lot of ice time. I didn't really notice who he plays with. But, I mean, if you put him on McDavid's line, I think you're going to have a lot more productive season than if you're maybe on what people call the fourth line, which I don't even like labeling anybody first line and you're on the fourth line. I don't like that myself. You're a team. So for Toby, I can understand why he's hurt. Um, He's still on the team. He's still going to be doing his best till the end of the season. It's probably, and I believe if you talk to Bob, he probably wishes he, he didn't say that. And I could understand it. Toby, the hockey player, being hurt by those comments. Because y'all want positive things said about you. but And you know, the fans have every right to say whatever they want about you. That comes with the high ticket prices. But you'd hope that it wouldn't be a member of your team. So I, I feel bad for the guy, but I, I still like Bob a lot. So we have a question from Marcus, who is in Phoenix, and his question is, do you have any memories about living in Phoenix? And so I know throughout different episodes you've talked about Phoenix, but is there anything hockey or not hockey that you 
have any interesting stories. I know you don't have the mafia stories for Phoenix, but is there anything you could think of for Phoenix? You know, I'm in Phoenix for hockey reasons. That's the reason I'm in Phoenix. So, although it's, some of these aren't directly on the ice and other players, it's interesting. While you're growing up, I'm 19, turning 20, living in Phoenix, and uh, there's a few things that happened to me there that I remember. One of them, I was thinking, you know, you learn lessons in life all the time. You know, you, you just keep learning. At least I do, I can tell you that. So I'm 19, 20. And uh, they take me to, they show me where we're going to be playing out. And it was called Veteran Memorial Arena. So I checked it out. Pretty nice. And now you got to find somewhere to live. And I said, ah, what do I know? I'm just a young guy. So I said, well, I'll just get a place Rick, real close to the arena. That would be great. So uh, I didn't check into what kind of neighborhood am I in. There's so many things after you learn some hard lessons that you say, okay, I've learned. So so this, I just said, oh, this is close to the rink. Yeah, it's a nice apartment. So I signed for, you know, the hockey season. And uh, holy cow, what a mistake where I lived. It was just the wildest freaking neighborhood in the world. So the first week I'm there in Phoenix, Chris, I look outside. And, and this is back in the day. Like if you bang a car now, you know, there's a siren and noise and horn honking and it's drawn to your attention. But back then, and they were looking at like 74, car was a car. And if you did something to it, there was didn't have any noise or alarms. And so somebody just got a little bit lunatic and decided to, uh, took a baseball bat and he broke 40 car windshields in our parking lot. So I get up in the morning and I said, oh my God. I said, well, I might be in a bad area. And then, and I might have mentioned this before, so I remember I ended up, what did I do? I broke my ankle that year, and I was on crutches, and I walk out of my apartment on crutches that I look. I had these expensive tires. I had a Trans Am, a brand new Trans Am. And somebody had put my car up on blocks and stole all my tires off it. And that was pretty interesting, too, because... They end up catching the guy that stole my tires. He'd been known to do it. He had a truck and he came and he was able to just quickly jack up your vehicle, put blocks underneath to get your tires off and, and then resell these things. And so what his strategy was is, again, this is in Phoenix, Arizona. He would drive around and he saw a car that he liked or some tires and rims that he liked. And if you were from out of state, so you're not from Arizona, and in my case, I had Manitoba plates on my car. So he would attack those kind of vehicles because thinking was that, okay, this guy, if I get caught for stealing these tires off the car from Manitoba, they're just a tourist. When I got to go to court, these tourists were going to have to make a special trip back to Phoenix to attend the court hearings. And the odds are they're not going to spend the money or have the time to come back to go to court. Well, I was so pissed off at this guy that uh, I stayed a little longer when the season was over to go to court. And I remember I was still on my crutches and this punk walked by me and I, I had a temper back then. And I just I just told him, I said, you're freaking lucky that I didn't catch you doing this. Anyway, so I, I testified against him and uh, he ended up, he, he'd been caught before. But again, people never showed up. So anyways, I believe he ended up going to jail. So... Uh, Hopefully you learned a lesson about that. 
The other thing, that same complex, uh, it was never boring. There was a knock on my door one day, and there was a gentleman there. He looked about early 20s, and uh, he said, I'm selling magazine subscriptions, and I have a time. I have Reader's Digest, Sports Illustrated, da-da-da-da-da-da. I said, oh, great. This will give me something to do at night I can read. So I remember giving this guy cash for all these subscriptions, magazine subscriptions that I signed up for. You think I ever saw that guy again? So, I mean, I got sucked in again. So, you know, I just realized after that year, I was in a bad area of town. So you get to know some people and they said, you're living over there? So the very next season, you can bet your butt that I... Uh, I, I took a look at where I was living and found out it was a good neighborhood and not such a good neighborhood. So, so you know, that's that's uh, something that you can all learn from. And when you're moving somewhere, make sure you go to a new neighborhood. Maybe it was just me. It's, that's 101. I don't know, but I, I just thought I'd live near the ring. And uh, try being his son after <laughs> 10 years of being... Um... That's the word, swindled and tricked. Oh. And uh, so once I was born and growing up, you you didn't trust anybody. No. Oh, no, man. <laughs> you didn't trust anybody. And so it was tough because... I challenge everybody. <laughs> yeah, you would. God, just because you, even... You wouldn't even trust a waitress. <laughs> no, for sure. No, that I, that's another story. I mean... Yeah, I could talk about that another day, but you could talk about. It. Well, I'm gonna talk about. It. Well, the only thing what I learned is, you know, I was making over a hundred thousand. I was single, and you know that hundred thousand back then. I think you could easily times it by five or six times, and so maybe it's half a million or eight hundred and fifty thousand. It was a lot of money I was making back then, and I'd go to the restaurants and I'd order whatever, and uh, I'd just look at the bottom line. Okay, uh, it was forty bucks whatever I bought. And, you know, I'd give a generous tip because I had lots of money and they did a good job. And um, I was out with the owner of the Phoenix Roadrunner hockey team. And if I understand it correctly, his father hired the prospector that discovered the Yellowknife gold mines. And uh, his name was Gary Hooker, one of the finest gentlemen you'll ever meet, friendly to everybody, whether you were his peer with a lot of money or you didn't have a lot of money. He would... Uh, always had a smile for you. I, I love Gary. He was a great man. And uh, so we were at the San Diego Yacht Club a few times. He'd take me out fishing on his yacht. And so if there was just him and I eating there or maybe his family members or friends, there could be six people there or 12. Whenever the waitress or waiter came up and said, okay, here's the bill. Back in those days, you know, some of the times you would get a bill. It was all handwritten you know, and so he would go over that. Even if the lady was in a hurry to get her money, he didn't care. He would go over that bill. Because I think all of us, we don't mind paying whatever we bought. But I have been swindled way too much. And my buddy, Roddy Piper, the two of us, we thought we were street smart. But man, we got sucked in so many times. And so with Gary, I remember he would take his time. And especially if it was handwritten bill. You know, so he would add them up and, you know, carry the two. And and so I can't even tell you. I would say, without exaggerating, 50% of the time there was a mistake in the bill. And it was always, always in the establishment's favor. He'd say, hey, who ordered this drink or who ordered these appetizers? Did we get this bottle of wine? Oh, 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 sorry, I must have made a mistake. I can't even believe, like, I never thought there was dishonest people out there. 
And so, you know what? I went from just paid the bill in my own mind to Gary to, you know what? I got to look the bills over because if somebody is trying to con me or, or, or be dishonest with me, I'm not going to make it easy on them. So even now, even now, when I, with my company that I work for, I have a company charge card. Um, I always look the bills over 150% of the time because there is dishonest people out there and, uh, I'm not going to, I'm going to do my best not to be one of their victims. That's for sure. So you have a question from Twitter from Larry, and he says, when you played, how did you handle the different cliques? Single guys hung out together or Europeans stuck together? Well, the perfect example with that, well, in Phoenix, we had uh, the Finns, and the Finns would hang out with the Finns. And I, I kind of get it. But the most telling was when I played with the Rangers, we had Swedes, we had some Finns, we had single guys, we had married guys who... Wives wouldn't let him go out for a beer or a sandwich after practice. You know, I believe, and it's been proved to me, that the team that hangs together, doesn't matter what sport, away from the rink, away from the ball diamond, away from the football field, you kind of get to know each other and you trust each other and you care about each other. And you get to know each other. You don't just show up for practice and then you show up for a game or you see him at the airport. It's not the same thing. So with the Rangers, that's exactly what would happen. And I know I've talked about this before, but we'd only have three or four guys that would go out together after practice for the most part. And um, it was no accident that they hadn't won a Stanley Cup in over 50, 55 years because we were individuals off the ice and we played like individuals on the ice. And so... Again, you go to Montreal, we hung around as a team, we did things together as a team, and we played as a team on the ice. And so, yeah, that's what I think about that. And that made me think, so let's say you were on another team and you had like a rivalry or you would fight with someone and then they end up being on your team after you get traded. Would you still hold some resentment or did you just get over it and now he's your teammate? I would say, in all honesty, I won the great majority of my fights. So somebody, I probably fought him and he comes to my team. Yeah, you're more than welcome because, you know, you didn't lay a beating on me. So I'd be smiling and you'd be accepted as a team member. But, you know, for the most part, when you're on the same team pulling in the same direction, some practices got rough. You know, I wouldn't say that uh, there wasn't fights in practice. There, there certainly was. I fought a guy in Houston. And the guy, I had lots of hair back in those days, and I got him down, and he was pulling on my hair. So, this who was it? His name was Paul. That's how you say his first name, Paul. How do you spell Paul? <laughs> I don't know. P O U L. Paul Popeil. And he was a little older than me, but he wanted to fight, and I got him down, and he was just pulling on my hair. So, I said, Let go. He said, You let go. So, I remember you could pull sweater kind of across the guy's neck so I was trying to choke him out which sounds a gross to some people but I figured you know what when he can't breathe he's gonna let go of my hair but uh, anyways bottom line is so we fought and we had he picked me up that day at my house so I had to drive home with him too so you know we just we, we were friends and then the last question that we have is a quick one and it's from Bob from Toronto, who asked if there's any progress with you writing a book. And I guess I can answer that. We, 
I guess we just procrastinate and it's something that you have a lot of stories that you haven't told that you probably would write in a book and then there's some stories that you've told here that you could get into more detail in the book. There's lots of stuff if you go back from our first 10 episodes but uh, no one's reached out right so and we haven't done much to to reach out either but um you're definitely interested well maybe i'm not book material i mean you know there's a reason nobody's jumped out i mean there's people who i don't even know who they are writing hockey stories you know i don't know if they sell a hundred thousand books or 12 like i really don't know but again if there was a market out there this is no ego. If I mean, if there were, if I had something to say and people wanted to buy a book, you know, if we really thought it was worth the effort, I mean, hell yeah, I would do it. But it, it is what it is. Somebody would have to step up and also believe that what I have to say maybe would be interesting in a book. You know, I just want to go back. I'm I, I just thinking about one other thing about Phoenix, Chris. And, you know, I talk about how naive I was when I got there. And I remember it was after a game in Phoenix, and I was driving to the bar to meet some of the guys. And uh, I had pulled up at a red light, and there wasn't anybody, no cars on this road. And I happened to look in my rearview mirror, and I see a car coming pretty fast. And I'm looking, and I'm still at the red light. The light is still red. And I'm looking in my mirror, and I'm looking, and I say, man, that guy's getting close. I said, whack, smashed into the back of my vehicle, pushed in my trunk. A fair amount. I had a big at that time. This I had a couple cars then. This one was my Grand Prix. It was a full size and a large trunk, so it got pushed in, but it could still drive. So he hit me pretty good, and then I get out, and his car, the person behind me, his bumper curled into his tire, so he was going nowhere. And I walked up to the driver. I said, "What you doing, man?" And then. He said, oh, my mother, she's having some kind of reaction. She's And she, her mother, this guy's mother was uh, sitting on the floor in the front seat of the passenger side, kind of moaning and groaning. Yeah, I'm just rushing her to the emergency. She's having a real problem here. I said, oh, wow. I said, well, your car's not going anywhere. I said, well, take my keys. My car still runs. You just take my keys and my vehicle. Go to the hospital, and I'll figure out how to find my vehicle after that. And the guy said, well, thanks very much. Well, thank heavens, just then, the timing is everything in life. The freaking Phoenix police pulls up. So they took over, and I and they went and checked things out. And that guy, he was drunk, and his mother was drunk. And, you know, I, I thought I was being a good guy, but I said, take, take my car. And meanwhile, I was letting some drunks get away. So anyways, the police got them, and they did what they did. But, I mean, I was pretty naive back then, so Chris... Well, I don't trust anybody. You can kind of start, and I don't even remember all my stories, but that's some of them. So you can kind of understand why, you know, I, I'm a little hesitant until I really know you're an honest person. I'm just not so sure because I've been burnt. I have never met this naive person before who would give your car, but it's interesting. I haven't, I didn't hear that drunk story, but it's hilarious. Um, so I guess we'll go to the main topic, which is your Stanley Cup predictions. You could... Talk about the team that you predicted in September, how they're doing. There's about 10 games left as of our recording. Uh, so if you could share your thoughts. Well, you know, when the season's first start, I don't follow it 
as close as maybe as I should to see what were the changes in the offseason. There's some people that know even the minor signings, the major guys. I mean, I know all the big ones that everybody else knows. But, you know, you pretty well go based upon the lineup that was there last year. Did they add to it? Are they getting better? So I predicted Tampa Bay was going to win the Stanley Cup. So far, they are, I don't think there's anybody close in points. So they don't, they're not, there's nobody that they're jockeying with to be first overall. I think Tampa Bay's got it locked up. And you know what? That's so good for hockey. That Tampa Bay, with all its sunshine, they sell out there. You take a look at it, uh, the product they have on the ice, and uh, it's caught on in Florida. Good to see. Good to see for the game of hockey. I'm going to stick with Tampa Bay because, you know what, they've had a good team, and they seem to just kind of choke in the playoffs, or other teams just rise to the occasion. In the game of hockey in particular, I guess it could be any sports. But, you know, you look at Washington, you look at Nashville, you even look at Toronto Maple Leafs, who haven't been as consistent as you would like. I mean, they got the firepower that if their goalie is standing on their head and and they're hot players, and they've got, I mean, from Tavares to Marner, you go on and on and on and on. They have got some good hockey players. If that team pulls it together, they could be the wild card that would pull the upset. And I don't think anybody really powerhouse team wants to play the Leafs because, again, if that goalie's stopping the pucks and buying the time for the forwards, those guys could score goals. So I'm going to stick with Tampa Bay, but if Tampa Bay loses, there's probably three or four teams in my mind that have the ability to get their act together at the right time and fire on all cylinders. And for me, and then it's not only me and my buddies, probably the most favorite time of year in hockey for me is the first round of the playoffs. That's probably the only time you're going to see me glued to that TV. Can't wait to get home from work. You know, you get a first place team taking a lower level team. And if you've had a lousy season and you just snuck into the playoffs, well, you know what? You could turn that all around. It's a whole new season. You put the regular season behind you and you're starting fresh. So that playoffs, everybody knows if you've had, as an individual, a bad season. All of a sudden, you could change that around in a heartbeat. So I I would say I still think that Tampa Bay is going to win. And you can kind of speak from experience on playing a different game during the playoffs. You did uh, well for New York, right, when you played in the playoffs? And, of course, for Montreal that time. I don't know why, um, and I've mentioned many times on my podcast, I've dated my wife since we were about 15. She's watched all my sports, and for me, I don't know, It's to me, you got everybody that's at a certain level, you got the talent, but I believe it's the mental, it's it's the mental side of it that you got to, I don't know if the word is control, but like if you believe in yourself, because when playoffs come, I don't know why, I always have in all my sports, at whatever age group. When the playoffs come, my mind goes somewhere else. It's for keeps. It's short term. And I, I just don't know. I, I become a different player in the playoffs. For the most part, I can't say that I never had any bad games. Like I, I don't know, but I probably did. But overall, Chris, I think you're right. 
when the playoffs came, it just seems like a new Cam Connor stepped up. And uh, I, I've done well in the past with limited ice time. So this these playoffs coming up, you could be just an average Joe. Fernando Pisani, there's a perfect example, who played for the Oilers, I think the last time they were in the playoffs, way back, who was a minor league player for his whole career. They brought him up. He scored goal after goal after goal after goal in the playoffs. Some big goals. Some big goals. And all of a sudden, where did this guy come from? And they signed him to a big, multi-million dollar contract, if I'm not mistaken. I don't think he ever rose to that occasion again. More power to you, you know, but maybe he's somebody when the chips are on the line um, and his back's against the wall, he shows up and more power to him. Okay, so we'll see how your prediction of Tampa Bay plays out. Do you have anything else to add, Dad, before we go? No, I can't say I do, buddy. Uh, again, I'm I'm looking to the playoffs. I'm uh, disappointed, and like all of Edmonton, and I don't want to kick any team when they're down. I don't know what the problem is. And, you know, if you live in Detroit or you're in Toronto, uh, you, you may get tired of hearing me talk about Edmonton. But on paper, they're not a bad team. But for year after year, you look at the reporters and they just talk, oh, it's got to be this. You know, but everybody's entitled to their opinion and they travel with them. So there is some knowledge there, but nobody really knows what the problem is. I hope that somebody figures it out, a new GM, a new coach. This city of Edmonton deserves a little bit more consistency than one every 13 years. They sell out every game. They pay top dollar for their seats there. They pay top dollar for parking. They pay top dollars at the concession. Um, I think it's only fair that somebody figure this out real soon on the management side. They get paid big bucks. Let's, let's figure this out. Okay. Until next time, I'm Chris. And I'm Cam. Thank you very much.